welcome to Taylor's Life. I hope you're all doing well. Today I'm joined by an internet friend, Liam, and today we're going to talk about ulcerative colitis. So currently I'm going through a diagnosis. Liam is very, very open about sharing his experiences about having ulcerative colitis. So without further ado, let's welcome Liam to the Taylor's Life podcast. Hello and welcome. I think it's the best introduction I've had to a podcast yet. <laughs> How many podcasts have you been on? I've done a few now. I kind of mix of, I've done a few podcasts and I've done a few not really podcasts, but this kind of one-on-one almost interview style thing, speaking about um, kind of symptoms and illness and life. So I'm getting a bit of a, a pro at it now, I think. Yeah, you are. Well, you better live up to your title now. You can't be saying that and be... <laughs> but no, I'm really, really excited. And like, thank you so much for saying you'll share your experiences because like... I, don't, I genuinely didn't really know what ulcerative colitis was until I was like much older and I was like, what the hell is wrong with me sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? So talk to me about what you're doing now. And yeah, just so the audience can get a little bit of a picture about what you're like as a person. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I hadn't heard the words ulcerative colitis before either, before I was officially diagnosed with it. You know, I was years of being unwell before anybody actually said to me the words ulcerative colitis. Um, It was actually during my diagnosis. And uh, to be honest, like uh, maybe through a bit of naivety, you know, I'd I'd never heard, apart from maybe things like cancer and stuff, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of a lot of different chronic illnesses, you know, Um, let alone understand what it's going to be like to live with one. I'm in a position now where I'm currently trying to recover from the biggest flare-up I've had in, you know, over a decade of having this illness, um, which started in November, and I'm kind of still in the recovery process, so it's approaching a year almost, and I'm, you know, still not working, still not, like, having a kind of normal life. So, yeah, that's where I am right now. I mean, it's heartbreaking to think that you're still struggling with it, like, even now. But, like, chronic illnesses, they shouldn't be taken lightly. Like, I think people throw a lot around the concept of, like, maybe a chronic illness. But it's life-changing for people. It really, really is. When you say that you had the biggest flare-up, so how long had you actually had it? Did you say a decade? I think it was roughly about 12 years ago from now. When I was officially diagnosed, you know, I spent years before that, like severely unwell. And they they just kept telling me like they didn't know what it was or there was nothing wrong with me. It's interesting that you say that because with things like this, it doesn't necessarily come up on like a blood test or anything like that. It's it's a really internal sort of problem, I guess. So did you have like a colonoscopy and then were they able to say from that? Yeah, so that's what was really bad about my diagnosis as well and why it took so long because um, I actually went for a colonoscopy and the prep didn't work properly. So for anybody who doesn't know, the prep is this horrible thing you drink. It's like an extremely like strong laxative and you drink it the day before, then fast, don't eat anything or do anything up until the point of your colonoscopy. It's meant to be so your intestines are clear and the camera can see it well. However, for whatever reason, I did exactly as I was told, you know, followed the instructions to a T, but for some reason, my intestine wasn't fully clear and they went and did the colonoscopy and the parts of it that were visible weren't inflamed. So they said I didn't have anything. But it must have been the inflamed areas were the areas they couldn't see. So they pretty much put it down to inconclusive. But then I was back to square one because they said, well, it can't be anything like what we think it is. 
it must be in your head, you know, type of thing. That was basically what they said. And, you know, I was going back to my doctor in hospital, just to put it into context for you, almost once a week, you know, and saying like I'm bleeding from like my back passage and I'm bloating and I'm cramping and I'm extreme pain, like all throughout the day. Uh, like there's something wrong with me. And they just kept saying, well, you know, all your tests have came back fine. So there can't be something wrong with you. And I'm like, well, you know, like, am I just making it up or am I imagining it? And that's basically how they made you feel. It's really upsetting because like probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the UK or across the world will have ulcerative colitis, but the doctors will have said like, it's all up in your head. You're going a little bit Lulu or something. Do you know what I mean? But it's the same thing happened to me about a year ago. I went to the doctors. They were like, there's nothing wrong with you, all of this. And I was like, so you're telling me that this is normal. Is that what you're saying? And it's not normal and it should never be normalized. At what point did you say, oh my gosh, okay, this is ulcerative colitis? So how how I eventually really got ill in the first place, it was, um, I came back from holiday, I was on holiday in Spain, I came back and basically I was just sat on my sofa and like I just got this crazy strong cramp and I run to the toilet and just loads of blood and I remember thinking, geez, like what's, like what's happening there? And I tried to get up and walk and I felt really dizzy and then I phoned the doctor and he basically said, oh, you've got a stomach bug from holiday. That's all it is. I went, all right, okay. I was laying my side, holding my belly, extreme cramps, you know, really struggling. And then I started bleeding so much just constantly. And we phoned an ambulance. Ambulance wouldn't come for me. So I had to drive. And basically, it was like a crazy story because these cramps were coming on every 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It's it's almost, I imagine, what it's like going into labor. You know, that was kind of like what I was, you know, compare it to bleeding loads constantly in the toilet. So I had to like get all my stuff ready. And then I run up the car and put towels down like on the seat. And then I went back to the toilet and got my keys and stuff and sat in the toilet till it was finished. And then I run and had to try and drive to hospital going through all this cramping and bleeding. And by the time I eventually got there, they said I had like a like a viral condition um, called uh, gastroenteritis. So I ended up staying in hospital for a week, bleeding heavily and stuff. And then when I came out of hospital, they the bleeding never really stopped. Like I got better, but I was still bleeding and bloating a lot. And they kept just saying, oh, it's like an after effect of the gastroenteritis. You know, you're you're going to be okay. Um, It'll go away, but it didn't. And it went on for months and months and months. And I kept going back and forth with my doctor and they kept saying it was gastroenteritis. And then eventually they just kept saying, well, there's nothing wrong with me. They were doing tests. They were doing everything. They sent me for a colonoscopy. The colonoscopy came back inconclusive. So they said they completely wrote off inflammatory bowel disease completely because it says it can't be because you would be inflamed. And it wasn't. So I was really back at square one because I was like, you know, in tears some days, you know, like in real pain, real bloating, real cramps, you know, bleeding into the toilet, you know, 20 plus times a day, not being able to like go anywhere or do anything. And it was all throughout the night and there were, you know, every time I phoned the GP, it was almost like, oh, not you again type of thing. And when I uh, when I go to my GP, I don't know what it's like with you, but I always end up with a different person every time I go. I never get the same doctor. But this one time, I had the same doctor maybe like three or four times in a row. And he kind of like snapped at me and was like, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I've told you there's nothing wrong with you. You know, like really angry. And I was like, well, like, are you telling me it's normal to be bleeding? like out my bum and bloated and cramps like multiple times a day like surely that's not normal and eventually I actually had them like private like insurance with my through my employer so I went to like a private hospital and 
got a colonoscopy done there and it just by chance the prep worked really well and like he just he did the colonoscopy really quickly and he came to me straight afterwards and said oh you've got ulcerative colitis that was from the point of first getting ill to this point is three years it took you know it was difficult because you know when i was at work and stuff and i was having uh, like i was unwell and i was struggling to work people were saying like what's wrong with you and i was saying i don't know and it made it look like i was like making it up or trying to get off from work i, I remember one occasion particularly I, I work offshore on oil rigs and i was on the oil rig at the time and I'd already been to the toilet maybe two or three times that morning. And we were using sledgehammers to like, n- like knock this iron pipework together. And I was kind of like holding it and then pull my hands away. And my, and my supervisor who it was, was hitting it with a hammer. And you know, when you're bursting for the toilet, you start fidgeting. Yeah. Hold him. I need to go to the toilet. And he says, you've already been twice. Like you're taking the piss. You're not going type of thing. And I was like, oh shit. You know, and I was only young, you know, I was only like 20 years old or whatever, or 20 one and I just like I didn't stand up on myself and say no I'm going I just went okay and I tried to hold it in but I was fidgeting so badly that I just for some reason just put my hand in the way of the the sledgehammer and it was just some like freak thing it went on in my head and I was just like panicking so much I just did it and he managed to pull the sledgehammer slightly at the last second but it still broke my thumb and like you know, shattered all like my nail, like my whole thumb went black. If he hadn't held back, I would have probably lost my finger. You know, it was like, it was a big deal. And he was like, you know, shouting and swearing, calling me an idiot and asking why I did it. And I actually just didn't know. You know, I said, I I don't know. And he, 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 I think he thought there was like something wrong with me, like mentally, you know, like as in like I had some sort of like, I don't know, like suicidal or self-harm tendency or something, but I was trying to put my hand there, you know? And it, it just made life so difficult because I didn't have an answer. I was up all night in pain and I would come to work in the morning and they'd be like, oh, like, you know, you need to get to your bed earlier. You know, you need to uh, stop staying up all night watching TV. And I was like, I, I was in my bed early. Like, it's just, I couldn't sleep. And yeah, it's just one thing after another. <laughs> that just made life so extremely difficult. And then when I got that diagnosis, it was like horrible, but also like so relieving. I've never, it was like the happiest I'd felt in years because I had like an answer to my chaos. You know, I had a bit of order to my chaos and I had a treatment plan that was, you know, laid out in front of me. He had a prescription straight away for some medication. I was like, wow, this is the beginning of my life getting back to normal. A little did I know it was probably the start or something a lot worse and more even more of a roller coaster of a life but yeah that's how it started oh my gosh that story is crazy and three years to try and go through a diagnosis is absolutely mental and like it just doesn't make sense to me that the doctors just kept on pushing you away because it they're meant to be there to help it's just almost like completely backwards but I'm really glad you finally got your diagnosis and like with the employer sort of side of things it just shows that the clear lack of understanding and lack of awareness over bowel movement I I still feel like it's a really taboo sort of topic and it's you know for you it's been a decade but it's still so taboo like even with my employers that I um, used to work with when I used to have a flare-up I used to just say that I was like on my period and stuff because my male boss simply he just was like oh okay just go home then do you know what I mean I just know that like if I said that I was bleeding or anything he'd give me like a dirty look as if like 
it's it's so wrong like oh my gosh i can't believe you've said that do you know what i mean but like yeah. it's the reality and like loads loads of people go through this so what are you doing at the moment to like raise awareness because i know you've wrote a couple of books yeah yeah totally i do quite a lot to be honest like um i i started this page initially just to connect with people and put my book out there because when i, I first published my book i didn't i deleted all my social media at the time um it was right around lockdown time and I'm somebody who gets quite easily addicted to my phone. I spend far too much time on it. And it was at the time I was like, you know what? I'm going to delete all my social media and just try and come off it. And then it became apparent that, oh no, I'm going to need to like contact people to sell this book. Like there's, the, the book's not going to have any sales if I don't tell people it's there. So I started contacting people from like my personal Instagram page. But then after a, a short while, it became apparent that people didn't like receiving that type of messages from a, a private page that didn't say anything about colitis. And, you know, it, a lot of people were reading my messages, not responding. I thought, right. So I created this Live on an Ulcerative Colitis page to, to connect with people, tell them about my book, you know, meet other people who are suffering, you know, really get an understanding of what it's like for people with the disease. And yeah, started messaging people throughout lockdown, connected with loads of new people, and it just kind of grew from there. So it helped me out in a lot of ways connect with other people. You know, like when I was first diagnosed, I was only given like medical information and there was some books online about diets and stuff, which were nonsense anyway. Um, you know, nothing really told the true story of what it's like living with a chronic illness. You know, um, like the first time I had an accident or a near accident, I thought I was like a freak. I thought I was something like I was like dirty. I was disgusting. There was something wrong with me. And then I realized once I kind of built the online platform and community that I have that, oh, actually, this happens to everybody. This is not just me. Like even having the diagnosis, I didn't realize that that meant that. You know, I didn't realize that having that diagnosis meant all these things are going to happen to you in your personal life. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize it was going to have an effect on me financially because of my career and time off work. I didn't realize it was going to affect me socially that I would lose friends and I would you know, have to give up some of my greatest passions and my hobbies and things that made me happy and made me who I was, you know. I didn't realize it was going to affect me so bad psychologically and like emotionally. It has like such a dramatic effect on everything, everything that I do. And, and, and when I was diagnosed, I felt really alone. Like I didn't tell people, like nobody knew. My friends didn't know. I didn't tell people because I was embarrassed. I don't know if it was like a man thing or I, it made me feel weak, made me feel less of a man. It made me feel like, you know, I was like, my my value as a person was, you know, greatly decreased somehow. And, you know, when I was growing up as well, like, it wasn't the same for everybody, but the area I grew up in, a lot of people were like, you know, tough and like fighters and, you know, things that like maybe not the type of like male personality that I necessarily felt like comfortable speaking about it with. So I just pretended everything's okay. Even after the diagnosis, I just said nothing. Uh, I would get embarrassed, you know, even if the topic came up about illness or or anything, I would feel my face flush and get a bit red and I would just want the topic to change so I didn't have to speak about it. And to be honest, even now after the book's out, there's still a lot of my friends who think I've got like bad IBS or something, you know, they don't really understand the full extent of what it's done to me. So yeah, I felt alone. So what the online community I, I've noticed has done for me is make me feel less alone and make me realise that what I'm going through is pretty normal. And, and actually even in my darkest times, 
it's really nothing compared to some of the people I've met. Like there's people I've met who've had 20 plus operations, you know, they can't hold down a job, they can't get a career, they're in life or death type situations once a year, every year for years because of their illness. And, you know, their whole life is upside down. And then I started realizing, wow, maybe, you know, I'm quite lucky in some some respect, you know, rather than hating life and wondering why me, you know, that whole thing of like, why is it me? I realized, well, maybe I'm actually so lucky to be in the position I am of being ill, but not being as ill as some people. But I feel like you shouldn't like downplay what you have either, because nonetheless, it's still ulcerative colitis. It's still going to have psychological effects. It's still going to affect every area of your life. And it's going to affect you forever. And like, I remember coming across your page and there's you saying like you didn't want to feel like alone and all of this stuff like you've made a community of people like all of us who follow you can relate to you in some sort of way so like you're making us feel less alone as well and like that's something that you should really really be proud of and like yeah I just think that it takes guts to be like right I'm gonna actually dedicate a page to sharing my experiences and like even talking about it right now like as open as you are that's incredible like not many people will do that but hopefully by talking and having your page out there and your book and everything like that you're going to make change some way you're like an ambassador for ulcerative colitis do you know Uh, what I mean Yeah, I do think of myself a lot of ways and kind of as an ambassador for the kind of Crohn's and colitis community. Even my, my community's grown as well into chronic illness in general. Like there's so many people on my page who I'm friends with who have like MS or diabetes or, you know, any of these kind of osteoporosis and all these kind of little kind of diseases that can affect your life in different ways. You know, I get like, I've said this to people before, like sometimes I'll, I can get as much as 100 DMs in a day and... You know, I'll be a, a handful of them are from people I, I'm not even friends with online. It, it'll be in my message requests a bit somewhere and it'll be somebody speaking about their child, like really upset and desperate. Like my child's five years old and, you know, my son has been diagnosed with this or my daughter or, you know, and it's like really like they're upset and they're struggling and they're looking for advice and support. And, you know, although I'm not a doctor, I definitely have been there with a lot of it. You know, I've been through a lot of these experiences and all I can do is share my experiences and what I went through with them and kind of make them feel better about it, like that what they're going through is going to be okay and that their, their son or daughter, that there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. That was the whole kind of format of the book as well. You know, when it came to writing the book, when I was diagnosed, just medical information or nonsense diets, there was nothing about personal stories about, like I said, about losing friends or, you know, having accidents or, you know, messing up your work or career or whatever. Nothing really talk, spoke about that. I thought it was just me it was happening to and that... I was like a, a weirdo or a freak or, a, you know, something that was like completely an anomaly. So I decided to write that book because I began to realize that there must be other people like this, you know. So if I write my story about what's happened to me, maybe all the other people out there who were feeling like that anomaly will not feel like that anymore. I kind of try to encompass it and this is me, you know, I'm a normal guy. This is what I did with my life. And then this is where I'm, I've got to with this illness. It's made me extremely unwell, you know, and all these irrational thoughts that you think you're having, like, 
you know, because a lot of times when I was bleeding, I thought, oh, right, I'm going to die. This is like me dying, you know? And there was a lot of times when I was extremely unwell thinking I'm not going to see the end of this year or whatever. And I bet there's so many people who felt like that when they've been looking at blood or feeling their symptoms or really run down. And I want people to know that's not irrational and that's completely logical to think that way when you're in pain and there's blood and there's all these things happening. That's okay to feel like that because a lot of people do. But it's to remember that, you know, like, as much as this affects us in so many different ways, there's always like the end of the tunnel, you know, and that you will get through this. And um, I actually listed some people in the book of famous people who've achieved great things, who have had some form of inflammatory bowel disease and, you know, mention who they are and what they've done and stuff. And I think it's a good reminder for people that, you know, although it really makes life hard, it doesn't mean that your life's over. You know, you can be more with yourself. I think that's like a really, really good way of putting it. And I will, I'm also going to like link the book in the description box for this podcast as well and your Instagram page and everything like that. But like, I'd like to just talk about like um, the children's book that you've got as well. And um, what's it called? Jack Jupiter. Could you chat to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, so what happened was, like I said, I get a lot of DMs on quite a daily basis from people. And, you know, sometimes there are people I don't know. And quite often there's, it's like a, a mom, quite mostly women, I would say, rather than men. But it's, uh, usually like a mother has got in touch to speak about their child because their child's been diagnosed with something and they're terrified and they're worried. And, you know, I, I know how hard it was as an adult dealing with this. I can't imagine what it'd be like being a child, like trying to navigate an already complicated like area of life um a period of your life you know like as a child going into school and all the normal stuff that comes along with that being under stress and being confused and bullies and you know all this kind of thing trying to deal with a bubble condition during all that which just it almost feels impossible you know it, it just feels it must be so horrible for those kids so the idea behind jack jupiter was it was try to teach kids that you know maybe having an illness is not necessarily a bad thing you know if they could if they could relate to and look up to like a superhero child like jack and imagine they could be him then you know, maybe having, you know, Crohn's or colitis or IBS or something else isn't actually so bad, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Because um, the whole story of Jack is that he has a terrible tummy illness that leaves him with a, a belly full of never-ending farts and he, and he uses that illness to, you know, help him do good deeds and explore new lands and stuff. And I think if you're a kid and you're suffering with Crohn's or colitis and your belly is sore, then maybe you can relate to Jack and be a bit more positive about your situation and and uh, it maybe help you through that small area of your life to think back to that, you know? Oh, that is actually so, so sweet. Genuinely, it's going to be life-changing to a lot of people as well. Like, it's just raising awareness. Like, you're literally saying, like, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, all of that, you're putting it on the table. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not taboo. It should never be taboo. And it's hopefully not going to be taboo in the future. And in terms of your like work and everything like that. So once you were diagnosed, what happened? Yeah, my employer at the time when I was first ill, before, just just before I diagnosed was awful. You know, I remember um, when I was in hospital with the gastroenteritis, right when I first got ill, like the he called my my boss for me and asked me you know to go away to a rig somewhere and I was like oh look I can't I'm in hospital and he he says I don't believe you you know it was the first thing he said on the phone and then 
he wanted me to send him photos of me in hospital and he wanted a copy of my medical records to prove it, you know, as if as an adult, I'm just going to lie and pretend I'm in hospital, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and bear in mind at this point, I was extremely unwell when I was receiving this kind of like communications. And then my new employer has been 10 times better. I uh, When I was ill, I got diagnosed, but I was kind of still semi-okay. I just went back to work as normal and I was taking the medication, but I got worse and worse and worse to the point where I was too ill to work. So I spent a bit of time at home and then they basically allowed me to work in the office for a while, which obviously made life a lot easier because I wasn't having to try and go off the rig and it wasn't as physical. And there was definitely a, a sense of a sentiment of like, you know, if you're not well, just don't come in today or if you need to go home, just go home kind of thing, which has been great. You know, it's definitely made life a lot easier and, and it's a piece of advice I actually give to people because I know getting a job is not always easy and I know having a, a successful career is not always easy but I, I say to people to try and pick employers who have you know placed value upon health and, and, and that work-life balance you know. I really can get behind that point of saying like pick an employer who will put health over anything. Yeah, yeah, I I think it's so important. It's not always easy to see, but if you get into a job where your employer is not happy with you, like struggling with your illness, then you, you genuinely do need to look for another job because from my experience, the people I speak to now, it just makes life easier. Um, you know, it makes life harder, but it makes life easier if you find an employee that is going to, employer that's going to kind of look after you and care, you know, and have maybe have, Maybe one of the things you need to look for on contracts is that they have good sick pay or, you know, they've got good, um, maybe they've got medical care or, you know, things that come along with it and stuff. And it it is tough because I speak to people, I sometimes feel embarrassed because my current employer has a great scheme, you know, where you get good sick pay and look after you and stuff and you're off. But I speak to people online on Instagram a lot and basically they say that you know they, they're getting emails from their manager and they're being told to have to come in for meetings with the hr department to discuss why they were off and it's like once you've told somebody you have a serious chronic illness you shouldn't be questioned about it you know it's you're not calling them with a bad back or a cold you know you're calling in because you've got a like a diagnosed formal serious condition it's, it's it amazes me why it's still happening when people are still struggling with their employers in this way it's it just goes back to like the lack of awareness like people yeah. don't know how this can affect people and like now i literally just write i've got a chronic illness at the top of my cv because like if they don't want to hire me based on that then that's on them do you know what i mean but like oh so you write that on the top of your cv yeah wow i put it on there um i'll just say um, like, because I'm going through my diagnosis, I'm going uh, right at the top, going through a di- diagnosis of a chronic illness, ulcerative colitis. So that narrows it out. Like, if you don't want me because of a chronic illness, then you're not going to have me. Do you know what I mean? So only the employers that will respect me will hopefully get in- back in contact. And I feel mm-hmm. like maybe that's something that people could do, but like, you shouldn't need to do that. But like, again, like, it just shouldn't be taboo like talking about it and stuff like absolutely should not be taboo and like it's really rich me saying that because I used to literally say to like my old boss I was on my period and he you know period about five times a month like that's not normal and I think he knew that I was like something else but like 
just talk about it. Do you know what I mean? And I was just wondering, I found this fact that 540,000 people in the UK live with Crohn's or colitis. Like, how does that make you feel being one of those 540,000? And I think it's one in 123 is the, is the one. Yes. In that, yeah. You know? yeah, I know it's pretty crazy. You know, when I was first diagnosed, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was nowhere near that. It was more like one in a thousand or one in 10,000 or something, you know, so it's, it's clearly on the rise. Um, and it's the same for a lot of children as well. I think there's thousands of children now being kind of diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. I think it's as much as 80,000 in the US. There's a lot of people getting it now. And I don't know if it's to do with our lives being in a certain type of stress or the ultra processed kind of processed foods everyone's eating. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it makes me somewhat less unique than it did 10 years ago now because I've met all these people who have uh, got some form of Crohn's or colitis or something else. Sometimes feel like it was a great thing that happened to me in some ways. It definitely made me a better person in a lot of ways. You know, it made me less naive and opened my eyes a little bit to kind of things that people go through. Um, you know, because after I got ill, I, I started to realize, I started to see like people around me who were suffering and who like, you know, maybe gone through terrible traumatic things and I'd been totally oblivious to before. Or, you know, people I'd met in my working life or people who I'd been friends with who had been suffering extremely, like with different illnesses and kind of different life stresses. And I was totally blind to it and probably just ignored it because I was kind of locked away in my own little world or something, you know, like most people are. And then I got ill and then I was like, oh, wow, like, look at all this stuff that's going on in life and look at all these things that people go through and now when I bump into people, you know, they've got serious illnesses and things going on in their life. I just think, wow, you're like an amazing person. Like you've got through all this, you know, it's crazy, really. You know, the amount of things that people go through that you're not aware of until you get ill yourself or dig a little deeper. And then you realize like, you know, there's a lot of people suffering. Yeah, there's a whole world out there and a whole lot of people are struggling and stuff and like, yeah, I think maybe the diagnose, um, you said one in a thousand back in the day, like it could be just because people are more aware of it as well. Do you know what I mean? But like, again, it's still pretty taboo. So hopefully we're making a change some, somehow. And like, I have two more questions, if y'all don't mind. And I want to ask, like, how has your diet changed? Because you briefly mentioned about food like how has your diet changed i'll be honest I, i'm not fully committed to the whole diet idea of of things with Crohn's and colitis and that might upset a few people um because i know there's a lot of people who swear by it but what happened with me was i used to be you know quite vain i was really obsessed with the gym i used to train three times a day some days you know i would do i would get up in the morning i put on like sweatsuits and I'd run and then I would like finish what I was doing. I would go to the gym or lift weights. And then I would have Thai boxing or Muay Thai, you know, at night um, to train, you know, it was like three times. And I would be so focused on my diet to an extreme place, you know, of like counting hours and I was eating, like really deprived myself of foods. And then I got ill and then things totally changed because all the foods that I would have said maybe were healthy were not necessarily the best meals for someone who's got inflammatory bowel disease. And it became apparent that plain, bland foods, including carbohydrates, things I used to avoid before, um, 
products are pretty good for you because they were easy to digest and your body dealt with it pretty well. Then I, I meet a lot of these people who say, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that for your diet. But when I achieved remission, I achieved remission in 2017 and I was in remission for, you know, pretty much five years there up until almost six years, up until uh, November just passed. And I would say the whole time I was in remission, I could eat what I wanted. You know, there was no like restriction on don't do this don't do that there were some things i would say were triggers other than stress because stress is definitely my biggest trigger but other than that it was things like if i ate indian food even mild things it must have been something to do with the herbs and you know the, the oils and stuff they gook it in if i drank alcohol that was definitely a trigger if i drink alcohol for any reason which i don't do often anyway but if i did i was always struggling with my my stomach for a few days afterwards if i ever overeat so if I binge eat, which I do quite often, but if I binge eat and I, you know, I sit one night and I get a takeaway, then I eat loads of chocolate and stuff and drink loads of fizzy juice, so, you know, a big combination of different things, I will sometimes feel quite ill the next day. And sometimes if I eat way too much sweets, you know, like if I eat like, I don't know, chocolate and sweets and and then go through a, a, like a cycle of going back and forth between chocolate and sweets all throughout a night if I was watching movies and stuff and I sometimes wake up the next day and the sugar must have like an inflammatory kind of effect on my intestine and it does kind of make me unwell. But generally my diet is, I haven't done anything to do with diet and, and, uh, and I know there's a lot of research came out recently to say that the diet stuff can make a difference. Um but I'm still not fully convinced, you know, my, my gastro, I always take what my gastroenterologist, you know, my consultant says, and he says a lot of the evidence is quite loose. And, you know, as far as the NHS advice is, is that you can either follow a bland kind of plain diet or but that's about it. You know, there's nothing about eating fruit and vegetables necessarily that's going to make you better. But yeah, maybe that'll change soon as research gets done and more and more people are learning about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think over time there will be more research into like what we can and can't eat and stuff. And like, yeah, when you say trigger foods, like sometimes that can just be down to the person. Like I know for a fact that caffeine does not like me, but I love oh, yeah, caffeine. That's another one of mine as well. I, I, If I drink caffeine, if I had any sort of caffeine that I'm very much immediately running towards the toilet. Literally, like, cancel all plans. <laughs> and my last thing, and you've been really, really great on this podcast, can you just give me, like, a line of advice that you would give yourself reflecting back on what you were going through? So, like, maybe 21-year-old you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's probably the same advice I give to other people as well. It's it's when I was diagnosed, there maybe was an online community, but I wasn't aware of it. And there was nothing whatsoever from doctors, hospitals, um, Googling the disease, anything that pointed towards a community that was going to help me. There's nothing. It was everything to do with this is what ulcerative colitis is in the medical terms. This is what the treatments are. And I felt so alone and lost. And, you know, the, the whole psychological effect of it, of feeling depressed and anxious and feeling like, you know, I'm not normal and I'm not worthy and I'm less of a man. All these horrible things I was telling myself, like real self kind of destruction would have all been solved if I just spoke to it about people, you know, 
other people who suffered, you know, went and spoke to them and discussed my symptoms and was open and honest and told people exactly what I was going through. Because since that online community, since I've joined that and I've been part of that and been contributing to that, it's it's totally changed me in a lot of ways because I've suddenly felt like, wow, actually I'm pretty normal and I felt better about myself, you know? And I think I do the same for other people with with being on there and speaking with people. You know, it's like it's like a two way thing. You know, speaking to people helps me and also helps them. So my advice for people would be to, you know, know that you're not alone and there's people out there and that you can go and speak to them and and discuss everything that's that's going on and and maybe as a second point to that is and as a reminder as well that there's always like light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you're gonna get through it no matter how hard you think it might be. There's going to be a resolution and it might not be the one you necessarily want, but there will be one. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you're in that really dark time and stuff, the idea that there's a light at the end of the tunnel almost seems impossible. Like there can't be a light at the end of the tunnel, but there is there. There's always a light. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's a really, really great place to end. Like you've been so great on this podcast and like, you know, I haven't really been able to share my experiences before either. So like, it's been really, really like nice to openly share this with you and learn more about your page and stuff, because you're literally like paving a way for like, awareness and opening up the doors to talking about bowel conditions and everything like that so kudos to you amazing thank you so much taylor i've had a great time i've had a great time too maybe we could do an episode in the future again because i really like this definitely yeah i just want to say as well for anybody who happens to listen i have a telegram um group chat for ibd support so it's if you don't know what Telegram is, it's just basically it's similar to WhatsApp, that kind of thing, but it's not your telephone number. You just sign up with a username. Uh, the link for it's in my bio. So it's an IBD support group. So I've got, we've got like 160 members so far. I only started a couple of weeks ago. And it's basically people who are having symptoms or treatments or going to hospital for stuff and they've got questions and answers and they don't necessarily want to post it on Instagram or they want to post it on Facebook or they don't want to go into the forums and ask it. They can come into this chat and and post about it and there's hundreds of other people there that have potentially been through it that can give you advice and speak about you directly with it so it's a great place for support and advice and all things IBD related so the link for that's in my bio if anybody would like to join amazing and I'll add that into the description box below Perfect. as well so people can look for that but thank you so much Liam for being on this podcast like you're a true ambassador so thank you so much thank you too Taylor it was nice speaking with you nice speaking to you too